you have the right attitude towards the Word of God, your life will be right. Uh, if you have the wrong attitude towards the Word of God, doesn't matter what else is right in your life, there'll be a lot that is wrong in your life. Uh, as you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find that much is said about the Word of God. And the reason for that is that the book of Proverbs is a book that is solely concerned with wisdom. And as such, we know that the Lord is the source of all wisdom. Uh, wisdom that is pure and wisdom from above. If you lack wisdom, you've got to ask of the Lord, which giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And so if we're going to get wisdom, we're going to get it from the Lord. You say, well, how does the Lord give us wisdom? Well, the chief way that He gives us wisdom is through the Word of God. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is made unto us wisdom. And you say, how is that, preacher? Well, He is the incarnate Word. He is the living Word, and we have the written Word. And so through the Word of God, we can gain much wisdom. And the path to gaining wisdom is through the Word of God. And so as Solomon writes about these things, there's an admonition given in chapter 6 that I want to spend a few minutes on tonight. And I want us to look at the Bible in the Christian life. And I want you to be honest with yourself about how you treat the Word of God. And I hope that it will help you this evening. Let's begin reading in verse number 20. And we'll just read three verses here and then go to the Lord in a word of prayer. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Let's read those three again. It's not very long. My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're coming to you as the only one and as the all-sufficient one that can meet our needs. Lord, we're asking you to open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Things that are particularly re relevant to our lives. Things that are revolutionary to our way of walking and behaving. Father, things that will confront us and convict us. And Lord, things that will comfort us. And Father, we'll be sure to give you the glory for all that takes place. We ask all this in the precious name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want us to notice a few things out of this chapter this evening, and I'm going to do my best to be brief. As we read this passage, we are immediately struck with the importance of the Word of God in our life. I'll go ahead and tell you right now that if you don't read the Bible, then the Bible's not very important to you. But if you read the Word of God, and if you follow and obey the Word of God, that's a good signal that it probably means something to you. I wonder this question, if someone was to break into your house and steal your Bible, how long would it be before you noticed? Most of us go from day to day, week to week, with a very light treatment of the Word of God, or sometimes with no reading of the Word of God. I wonder if our Bible knowledge was put to the test and our Bible living, I wonder how we'd stand up. I wonder if we had three Bible questions asked to us, how many of us could answer all three or two or maybe even just one. The Word of God is of supreme importance. God went to great lengths so that you could have a Bible. Have you ever thought about all that it took for God to give you the Bible that you have in your hands? And God gives us this uh, remarkable truth in His Word, that His Word is exalted above His name. 
Now, that's the kind of importance that God puts on the Bible. Stop and think about that for a moment. I mean, that name is a name that's above every name. That name is the name by which we're saved and born again. That name is the name of the blessed and only begotten Son of God. That name is the name that means salvation to you and I. And yet the Lord says, I put my word above it. That's remarkable. God places a great importance on the Word of God. And I think in this passage, He gives us a few reasons why we should put great importance on the Word of God. I think, first off, because of the authority of its wisdom. Notice what it says. Verse 20, My son, keep thy father's commandment, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Do you notice how the Lord frames His Word and how it's described in this passage? He calls it the commandment of your father and the law of your mother. Now, you must remember that this is parental advice that Solomon is giving, but there is a deeper spiritual truth here. I don't know if you grew up in the same kind of house that I grew up in, but in the house that I grew up in, there wasn't a court of appeals. In the house that I grew up in, there wasn't any kind of plaint or any kind of uh, legal counsel to take your case to. When mother and father gave a ruling on something, it was absolute. You could argue till you was blue in your face, but it wouldn't make a difference. What they said was law, and it was absolute in our household. And you know, I think if for no other reason, we ought to believe that the Bible is important because of who it came from and the authority that it bears with it. You understand this is not the words of man. I hope everybody in this room understands this isn't the words of men. God used men to pin down this Bible. But let me tell you something. If these are the words of men, then it's worth no more to me or you than the the Sears and Roebuck catalog or the telephone book. If this is just the words of men, then it is worth no more to us than the average best-selling novel that might come out year after year. You see, it's time we got serious about this. And I'm not talking about scholars. I'm not talking about preachers. And I'm not talking about colleges. I'm talking about the everyday Christian. We need to understand that this book is either absolute or it's obsolete. It's the authority in our lives. If you don't believe this book is right, then why are you here? Why'd you walk through those doors if you don't believe this book is right? Now, I'm not talking about whether it is inspired. I'm not talking about whether it's preserved. I'm talking about you in your life where you sit right now in this church pew. Do you believe the Bible is right? Do you believe it's right? Does your life bear testimony to that? Now, we all make mistakes. We all sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And there's not a one of us that won't fall and fail and make mistakes in our life. But when we live in constant disobedience to the precepts of the Word of God, that's a good implication from our life that we don't believe it's right. We all make mistakes. We all own up to those mistakes, or we ought to anyways. But we need to see this as our compass and guide, given from on high, divine from the Lord's mind and heart to you and I. God went to great lengths so that we could have a Bible. We ought to recognize it came from the Lord. If it didn't come from the Lord, it wouldn't still be around. Have you ever thought about how many books pass into obscurity? Uh, I don't know if you've ever done this. Most folks, I'd say, uh, that live around Knoxville, you've probably done this at some point. If you've ever gone to a used bookstore, McKay's is the one that's coming to my mind right now. But they've got a, a, like two big barrels, big crates, big boxes, I don't know what they are, uh, out in front of the store. And that's the free bin. Do some of you all know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand so I know whether, okay. 
You've been to the free bin, and sometimes you look through that free bin. If you're like me, you know, you're looking for stuff. And uh, you look through that free bin. It's amazing how many books that they'd rather throw away than put a price tag on. And you'll go through there, and sometimes you'll find textbooks. And more often than not, you find self-help books. Amen? Uh, That shows you a little bit about the self-help movement. And as you look through that box, you're looking at books that are slipping into obscurity. Not a penny can be made upon those books. Many of them just a few years old. Have you ever thought about what it takes for a book to last 25 years and how few books that are written survive 25 years before they pass into obscurity, never to be read again, never to be examined again. Their copyright disappears, expires, and no one's interested in it any longer. How many books do we have that are 100 years old? There are very few books you could go to a bookstore right now and pick up that are over 100 years old. But here we have the book that the Ancient of Days wrote. Divinely inspired and providentially preserved in its absolute perfection for you and I. Entire empires have tried to stomp it out and burn it out and tear it in pieces, but it's survived every single one of them. And though the ages may break their hammers on the anvils of God's Word, it will not pass away. It's settled forever in heaven. It ought to mean something to you and me. I think because of the authority of it, but I think because of the antiquity of it. It says, your father's law and your mother's law. It's amazing. You know, I always heard this growing up, and you've heard me say it from the pulpit, and I'm sure you've even said it, that you remember that time in your life when you were 16 or 17 years old and you knew everything. Do you remember that? And I've heard people jokingly say, it's amazing how much I forgot in the next 10 years. The implication is this, that as I got older, I began to recognize the wisdom of those that were older than me. And certainly that has been my experience in life, and I'm sure it's been your experience in life. God likens His Word to that which satisfied their fathers and mothers. We live in a society today that is so rebellious that it thinks it's ever advancing. We live in a society that is so prideful and arrogant that thinks that it is constantly on the rise. Uh, there was a time in society when utopianism was very, very much in the main. And uh, back at the turn of the, the late 1800s, early 1900s, and if you study theology from that period of time, that was when amillennialism became uh, such a, a main feature in uh, many predominant churches. And it wasn't because they saw that truth in the Word of God, because that truth isn't in the Word of God. The reason is because they looked around and they thought society was getting better and better and better and better. And that's what amillennialism teaches, that everything's just going to get better and better and better until, hey, you'll wake up one day and realize the kingdom's here. That's not the message that the Word of God presents to you and me. The Word of God presents to us that things aren't going to get better and better. They're going to get worse and worse. You say, preacher, what are you driving at with all this? I'm driving at this. Though we have seemingly shed the idea of utopianism as a society, still on a personal level, we believe that we're getting better and better and better. We believe we're smarter than the generation before us. I'd propose to you that we're dumber than the generation before us. Uh, I, I believe if we read the Word of God, we, we go back uh, 6,000 years. I, I don't think we find a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Neanderthals uh, dragging their knuckles across the rocks. I think we go back uh, 6,000 years, we probably find the, the most brilliant man that ever lived, which was probably Adam. Man is getting worse and worse and worse. And I would say this to you tonight. This book that you have in your hand, it was good enough for your parents. It was good enough for your grandparents. It was good enough for their parents and their grandparents. And now all of a sudden we believe we need something better. I'm just simply telling you there's nothing better. 
I'm not opposed to buying books and reading books. And I, I, I buy, in fact, I, I was talking to Brother Larry earlier. We're getting ready to study Ruth, if the Lord will help us to, in the, in the Bible study uh, in, in between homecoming and, and uh, Thanksgiving. And I just got through ordering commentaries and things like that. And I, I believe that's a good thing. I, I'm not opposed to that, but I'm just simply saying this, that uh, it's one thing to buy books about the book, but don't ever forget that you've got the book. And if for no other reason, just because of its antiquity, just because it was good enough for those before us that did much more than us, it ought to be good for us. But then I think it ought to be important because the affection of its wisdom. Uh, let me say this. I, I don't know whether my parents have ever given me bad advice, probably. <laughs> but I know they've never knowingly done it. I know they never do anything to hurt me. If you've got children, you feel that way about them. My son's still young. I guess I'll still feel that way about him in a few years. The Word of God says that this is your Father's Word. Now, here's the difference. I believe the Lord blessed me with wonderful parents, but I don't believe He blessed me with infallible parents. But I do believe He's blessed me with an infallible spiritual father. And we need to understand that it's God the Father's Word. I'm not meaning to imply it's not the Holy Spirit's Word, and I'm not meaning to imply it's not God the Son's Word, but I am meaning to say explicitly that in a very unique way it is God the Father's Word. And it is His counsel and wisdom to you and I. If you could ever get a hold, well, that's almost silly to say. If you could ever get a hold of how much God loves you, you'd never doubt Him again. Now, I know we won't ever understand that, probably not till we get to heaven, and then that's probably what we'll shout about through eternity. But if we could just wrap our minds around this truth, even if we don't know how much He loves us, if we could just get it in our heads that He does love us, And He didn't give you this Word to bind you. He gave you this Word to liberate you. And He didn't give you this Bible to uh, take the joy out of your life. He gave you this Bible to put joy in your life. And He didn't give you this Bible to give you tears. He gave you this Bible to give you comfort and strength and encouragement. God's not sitting around waiting to kill your good time. God's sitting around waiting to bless your life and to use you and to give you something worth living for. I think because the affection of this wisdom. But then I notice not only the importance of God's Word, I notice the instructions for God's Word. Now, this is real simple. I like verse 20. It says, "...bind them continually upon thine heart, and tie them about thy neck." Now, we see in this passage that the first thing we're to do is to love and memorize the Word of God. "...bind them continually upon thine heart." It's interesting the way that the Bible uses the term heart and mind interchangeably. Now, when I say interchangeably, I only say that because they both sort of mean the same thing. And yet God uses them in very distinct ways. God certainly could have said to bind the Word of God in your mind. And I think we ought to do that. But He didn't say that. He said, bind it upon your heart. The seat of emotions the place of affection, the place of adoration. You know, I sort of think the Bible is telling us that we just ought to love the Word of God. Let me tell you something. You don't love something you don't spend time with. Uh, You say, well, you know, there's certain things in my life I don't get a lot of time with, but I'll, well, you don't love them, you're infatuated with them. Love is something that's built out of time and relationship. And the more time we spend with the Word of God, the more we're going to love it. I can go ahead and tell you why some of us don't love the Word of God. We don't ever read it. You're not going to love a book that you don't read. You don't love it before you read it. You fall in love with it while you read it. That's an act and expression of faith. You don't do it because you want to. You do it because you believe in it. 
And then if you do it, you'll find you'll want to. We ought to love the Word of God. But notice the word bind. Bind. The idea of fastening something, tying something. And of course, that is given, uh, that same truth is given here in a moment concerning the way that we ought to live our lives. But what it's saying is, how can we bind something on our hearts? The only way that we can bind the Word of God on our hearts is to memorize it. And some of you say, Preacher, I'm too old to memorize it. You're not too old to do anything God's commanded you to do. Now, you may not be able to memorize whole books, whole chapters, but I'd challenge each and every person to try to memorize at least one verse a day, one verse a week even. I believe we ought to soak our souls in the truth of the Word of God. One of the great tragedies in our life, I mean, most of us, what would happen? I know they'll never be able to destroy the Word of God, but what would happen if they took your Bible away tomorrow? Would you still have any Bible in your heart? If they took you away, let's say they came to your home, you say, Preacher, that's not going to happen. Well, one day it might. And they took you away at gunpoint, and they put you in a prison cell, and you didn't have a Bible, would you still have the Word of God in your heart? I wouldn't have all of it. I'll confess that to you. I'm aware of that. I know I wouldn't have everything. I think about Fanny Crosby who memorized huge, I mean massive portions of the Word of God and other preachers and other men of God that have memorized entire books of the Bible. And oh, how I covet to do that. I, I need to be more diligent. Can I make it? Confession's good for the soul, they say. Can I make that confession? I need to do it more. Not just because it would be convenient, but because it's a commandment. We're to bind it, we're to love it, and to memorize it. But then I think we're to live it and to manifest it. Look at the next phrase in that verse. It says, tie them about thy neck. Now, if you're a student of the Bible, you know what's being referenced here is the phylacteries that they would wear, uh, Orthodox Jews. And actually, those phylacteries became a centerpiece of, of the Lord Jesus Christ's condemnation later when He talked about making broad the garments, the hems in their garments, and the phylacteries that they wore. But that was taking literal a rendering in Deuteronomy where the Lord had already commanded them to bind them about their neck. I don't think the Lord is commanding and I don't think the Lord is condemning having Scripture upon your person. But I think the greater truth is this, that we ought to live our lives in such a way that the average person walking down the street, they could tell it. They could see it in the way that we live. Most people that wear a necklace, they don't do it to not be seen. They wear it to be seen. And I think the idea here is this, that people ought to be able to look at our lives and tell we're a Bible believer. I wonder if the average person you spend time with, and you forgive me for just wondering some tonight. I'm wondering about me. I'm not just wondering about you. I'm wondering about all of us. I just wonder if the average person that we see day in and day out, if someone was to ask them about our testimony, I wonder what they would say. Maybe they'd say, oh, that person is a Christian. Maybe they'd say that person is a churchgoer. Maybe and hopefully they'd say this, that that person is a Bible believer and they love the Word of God. But I wonder if it's manifest in our lives the way that we live. Let me tell you something. There's a ditch on both sides of the road. And there's some people in the ditch uh, talking about your outward appearance. I'm aware of that. And I understand you can get caught in such a condition that, that you're to the place that you're tithing and mincing cumin and, and you're always worried about the length of this or the, the shortness of that or the dimensions of this, that, and the other. I'm aware of that. But I'm aware there's another side of the road and there's another ditch to be in. And I'm aware of this, that a Christian ought to look and act and live like a Christian. People ought to be able to tell when they're around you. They ought to be able to see something in your life. 
I'm talking about the most spiritually dead person in the world ought to know there's something different about you when they see your life. So it's very simple. We're to love it and memorize it, and we're to live it and manifest it. We're to have a relationship with the Word of God. And what will happen if we do that? We see not only the importance of it and the instructions for it, but we see the impact of it. What will the Word of God become to you and I? Well, notice what it says in verse 22. The Bible says this, When thou goest, it shall lead thee. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. And when thou awakest, it shall talk with thee. So in other words, first off, we see that if we'll do this, if we'll value the Word of God, and if we'll read it and love it and memorize it and live according to it, if we'll make it the centerpiece of our worldview, then the first thing it'll do is it'll guide us. When thou goest, it shall lead thee. Let me tell you something. Very, very few people in the world are guided by the Word of God. Can I ask you this question? When you have a decision to make, and we all have decisions every day, Today, you made decisions concerning your life. They may have been small decisions. They may have been big decisions. But they were things that were left to you that you had to make a choice about. I wonder if the Word of God was your guide for it. You say, well, preacher, the the Lord doesn't deal with every single tiny detail. And I'll concede that uh, the Lord may not expressly open the windows of heaven and speak to you audibly concerning whether you ought to take the long way or the short way to work. But I'm also aware of this, that more often than not, we leave the Lord out of our decision-making. You make a decision that affects your life. Did you pray about it? You say, preacher, don't preach on that. You're going to mess up some of my decisions. Well, that's sort of the idea. Did you pray about it? Did you specifically ask the Lord what His will was about that choice or about that decision? There's no one in the world more bold than a Christian that's in the will of God and knows it. When we know that we're doing what God would have us to do, then we understand that though all the world may be against us, the Lord is for us, and greater is He that is in us than he that is in the world. Part of the reason we live with so many half-measures and apathetic decisions is because we're not really sure whether it's the will of God or not. And so we relinquish our boldness we see that, number one, it will guide us clearly. Clearly. You can't be guided rightly if you can't be guided clearly. And the Word of God does guide us clearly. You say, well, preacher, I had to decide what car to buy, and I didn't see which chapter and verse would tell me if it was a Ford or a Chevy. (laughs) Well, if you knew anything about your Bible, you'd know there ain't no Chevys in the Word of God. But they... uh... (laughs) Can I have a walk out here in a second? Yeah. But the truth of the matter is this. Most of the decisions that we make in life, the Lord does speak very directly on. And I found this to be true, that God addresses every issue of life, either in particular or in principle. Everything that we face in life will either be dealt with distinctly, specifically, explicitly, or it will be dealt with in principle. And God will guide us into the decision that we're to make. See, my concern is not that God won't tell us. My concern is that we don't listen He'll guide us clearly, but He'll guide us continually. I'm glad the Lord is with us, aren't you? I'm glad we have this promise. Let your conversation be without covetousness. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know what that means? That means there couldn't be anything else in the world we could really want other than the presence of the Lord. 
Let your conversation be without covetousness. You know what? You know what? That's the Lord's way of saying. He's saying just hush about all of your wants and whinings and desires. I'm not saying the Lord doesn't want us to pray, and I'm not saying the Lord doesn't want us to express what we desire to Him, but that's sort of the Lord's way of saying just hush and be satisfied with this great and grand truth that I'm with you always. There's nothing more we could really want. And if He's with us, then we are to understand that He'll guide us if we'll listen to Him. He'll guide us continually. When thou goest, not when you go or when you went or when you have gone, but when thou goest, a daily walking. We see that the Word of God will be a guide to us, but we see that the Word of God will be a guard for us. Notice the next phrase. When thou sleepest, it shall keep thee. No man is more vulnerable than when he's sleeping. But in those moments, the Word of God will be a guard to us. You know that there are times, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm a little dense sometimes. There's sometimes I don't know the right thing to do. Anybody testify? Sometimes I ought to know, but I don't know. Or as some folks say, I ought to know better, and I don't know. And in those moments, I'm glad there's a place I can go for the answer. See, the issue is this, not whether or not this is the answer, whether or not you'll acknowledge it's the answer. So many folks are running around trying to find something better. And so they're dissatisfied because there is nothing better. And it's not that the answers are not good. It's that the answers aren't what we want. And so we're walking around trying to find somebody to tell us what we want to hear. But what we want to hear is not what we need to hear. If we'll go to the Word of God, it'll give us what we need to hear. And it'll guard us from some things. Let me tell you something. There's some stuff in my life that I've wanted desperately that I'm really glad now God didn't give to me. There are some times when God has guarded me against my own decisions and choices and desires. And I believe the Word of God will give us that guarding. I think it will guard us from self when we don't know what we need and sometimes when we want the wrong thing. I think it will guard us from sin in that there are times when our flesh would yield, but as the Word of God is applied by the Spirit of God and is brought to our remembrance, the victory can be won as we choose to honor the Lord instead of appeasing the flesh. And I think it can guard us from Satan in this respect, that through it we are reminded we have the victory already. I believe it becomes our guard. And then finally, and I'm done, I believe it becomes a guest in our homes when we really begin to read it. Notice the next phrase, and and I'm done. It says that when thou wakest, it shall talk with thee. I believe that phrase, when thou wakest, is connected directly to that phrase, when thou sleepest. In other words, there's times when I'm out of fellowship, and it's a guard for me. And then there's times when I'm in fellowship, and it's a guest with me. It talks with me. It comforts me. I I wish I could tell you that the Word of God is always sweet in my life, but it's not. There's times when it's sweet in my mouth, but then it's bitter in my belly. When it permeates to the depths of my life and my actions, and I find that the things that I've been doing fundamentally disagree with the precepts of God's Word, it's not always sweet, but it's always what I need. And there's times when in the midst of that darkness, it seems to almost intrude into my actions. Do you understand what I mean? It intrudes into my actions and prohibits me and says, Now, Toby, you know better than to do that. But then I found this, that when my life is in accordance with the Word of God, it don't come looking for me. I come looking for it. And when I wake up, that's what I want to hear. When I'm in fellowship, that's what I want. That's what I need.
I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say, because we all have dry times in our devotional walks, every one of us. But if you get to the place that this book is a burden, something's probably wrong. When you get to the place where the whole thing's just a, just going through the motions, something's probably wrong. You say, preacher, what can I do about that? Well, you can come back to the fountain of life. And you can come to it. You say, but preacher, I don't think that, oh, it'll fix your problems. It'll fix your problems. There's not a single thing wrong in your life but what the Lord Jesus can fix if you'll come to Him. But you see, it's an act of faith. You've got to open this book. You've got to read this Word. You've got to partake in it. God won't force it in your life. But if you'll come to Him, you'll find this, that when you finally wake up and you're in fellowship with Him and you're not dwelling in the darkness of your own sin, but you're dwelling in the light and morning glory of His presence, you'll find it's a guest for you and it talks with you and it comforts you. You'll find it's personal. You'll find it's precious.